This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. AOPA presents Never Again, true pilot stories from the world of general aviation. In this episode, a 172 pilot on a family outing encounters the perils of flying IFR, which stands for I Follow Rivers. Strap in and fly along in The Long and Winding River by Darren Hunt. As a private pilot aspiring to earn a commercial certificate, I took every opportunity to obtain flight time. I was attending Utah State University in Logan, Utah, and earning a degree in aviation while working full-time. My wife and kids had chosen to visit family in Slate Creek, Idaho, several days earlier. I had work and school obligations, so I planned to fly up to join them for the weekend. This would be a great opportunity to build flight time and gain more experience. I rented a Cessna 172 from the local flight school. The plan was to land at Idaho County Airport in Grangeville, since Slate Creek Airport was a grass runway, and my rental policy required the use of a hard surface runway only. Weather was moving in over the mountains, lowering ceilings with steady rain. Approaching Slate Creek Airport, I saw deteriorating weather a few miles ahead. The ceiling appeared to drop to the surface, so I decided to land at Slate Creek. The approach was simple and yet scenic alongside the Salmon River. I touched down softly in the wet knee-high grass and secured the airplane for the weekend. I felt confident I had made the right choice to land at Slate Creek, even though it was a grass runway. I felt a sense of accomplishment that my first ever actual soft field landing went so smoothly. Simulating hundreds of soft field landings on hard surface runways had paid off. When it was time to return home, the unsettled weather still remained, with rain showers in every direction. A standard briefing revealed marginal VFR conditions prevailed for the first half of the return flight. Mountaintops were forecast to be obscured with overcast cloud bases 2,000 to 3,000 feet AGL. I questioned the safety of departing the area for the return flight, but since I could see the cloud bases approximately 2,000 feet high up on the mountains, I decided to give it a try. 
Shortly after takeoff, I saw clouds were obscuring the mountain pass I needed to go through. I turned around to spend the night with my family. Upon landing, however, my father-in-law suggested an alternative course of action. He said I would be able to remain below the clouds if I followed the Salmon River until it emptied into the Snake River. I could then follow the Snake River toward Boise, where I would be out of mountainous terrain with better weather. If I remained over the river, I could stay below the clouds with good visibility and plenty of separation from terrain. He had flown that area many times, and I respected his opinion. I decided to give it a try since I needed to get back to work and school. After my second takeoff, everything was going fine. Things were exactly as he predicted. I had good visibility and felt very safe with my height above the terrain. I allotted the warmer temperature over the river as the reason for the clouds staying higher. Unfortunately, my sectional chart ended not too far northwest of my departure airport. I had originally planned on returning the way I came and hadn't purchased any additional charts. The closest chart source was 75 miles away. Without a sectional chart, I had to trust that the river would take me where I wanted to go. When I arrived at the point where the Salmon River empties into the Snake River, I initially turned upriver, which would have taken me to Boise. I began to look closely at the river and saw that the water was running the opposite direction I thought it should. Going against my initial thinking, I turned the airplane around and followed the Snake River the wrong way. I kept telling myself, incorrectly, I know the Snake River winds every which direction, but it will ultimately take me where I want to go. I kept looking for a point on the sectional chart that I could identify along the route. I figured at some point I would find my location on the chart. I started tuning various frequencies and attempting to make contact with airports that I thought I was getting close to. There was no response. The thought to use the 121.5 emergency frequently never entered my mind. I'd been flying for several hours and was starting to get concerned about my fuel situation. I'd flown approximately five hours since topping off the tanks with fuel. I remember my flight instructor had taught me not to solely rely on the indications of the fuel gauges. At this point, both of my fuel gauges were showing empty, with only an occasional flicker. Some quick head math revealed I didn't have a lot of time left before fuel starvation would result. I began to feel anxious and struggled to keep a clear head. I began looking for any available airport or emergency landing location. The marginal weather meant that I had to find something in the canyon alongside the river. But I saw nothing. Just when I thought I wasn't going to find anything, the river entered a wide valley. I spotted a larger city and thought there has to be a runway here somewhere. As I quickly scanned for an airport, I found one within a few miles of my position. Feeling relieved, I lined up with the first runway I saw and started an approach to land. The only care in my mind was getting on the ground before I ran out of fuel. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a flash of light. I looked to my left, and from the control tower, I saw a steady green light shining at me. I remembered from my training that that meant I was cleared to land. I probably would have continued regardless of the color, but knowing that I had received a clearance to land put my mind at ease. 
I had no idea where I was. All I knew was that I had landed safely. I taxied up to the nearest access gate and secured the airplane. As I walked out of the gated airport area, I noticed that nearly all of the cars parked in the airport terminal area had Washington state license plates. I stopped the first person I met coming out of the terminal. I asked him, I know this may sound weird, but where am I? His answer came without hesitation. Tri-Cities, Washington. I thanked him and continued to walk into the airport terminal. I had no idea where Tri-Cities was. A security guard in the airport terminal gave me the phone number for the control tower. I called the tower to let them know I was the one who had just landed using the light signals. They were very friendly. Fortunately, I hadn't caused any issues with the flow of traffic to or from the airport. They gave me the ground frequency and directed me to the general aviation side of the airport. Once there, I was able to purchase the necessary charts and fuel and plan my return flight home. Everything went smoothly from that point. To VFR pilots, flying IFR has often been construed to mean I follow rivers or roads. In my case, following a river in bad weather through unfamiliar terrain nearly cost me my life. I made a poor decision to attempt a flight into unfamiliar terrain with marginal weather and without a chart to follow. A series of poor decisions that led up to an accident is commonly called a poor judgment chain. Pilots must recognize when a series of poor judgments are being made and break the chain. Knowing what I know now, I would never have taken off to return home. The risks far outweighed the benefits of the flight. We can't compromise safety with poor decisions and excessive risk. Since this experience, I have become a certified flight instructor and have had many opportunities to help others learn from my mistakes. The Never Again Podcast is brought to you by AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. You can find more Never Again stories online at aopa.org by typing Never Again into the search box. While you're there, check out FlyQ, AOPA's integrated flight planning software, as well as the many free online training and safety courses from the Air Safety Institute. Find all of this and more at aopa.org. The Never Again podcast is produced by Royce Earl. Thanks for listening. Fly safely.